Hello and welcome to My Rural Tribe, the podcast that celebrates all things rural, the people that live and work within it and whose passion I find inspiring. I'm your host, Sean Mercer, photographer by day and podcaster by night, with a lifelong joy and passion for all things farming. I come from a family of farmers and have worked within industry. To me, farming is my history, it's in my blood, and I bring you this podcast to share an insight into this world and to bring you the farmer's story. I hope you enjoy. Let's meet today's guest. Today I'm speaking to Heather Wildman. Um, I met Heather oh, quite a few years ago now. We um, were organising a farm walk together up in um, with Charlie Russell in Glenapp, so right on the west coast of Scotland. And I just remember Heather being this ball of energy that arrived in a little BMW sports car and uh, just had uh, yeah all this energy. And we sort of stayed in touch over the years through work and then through um, just social aspects as well. And um, yeah, I just uh, really enjoy seeing what Heather is doing in her new career, talking to farmers about succession. So welcome, Heather. Thank you, Sean. Thank you very much for the invitation. And uh, wow, what an introduction. This <laughs> is my little Z4. It was so much fun. It was. <laughs> it doesn't handle these wet roads very well, so um, I had to take a more sensible approach. But maybe one day I'll get my Z4 back. Get it back, be the little sporty number zipping around the Scottish Highlands again. <laughs> and also the UK now, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah UK-wide. UK-wide. So, Heather, um, just uh, tell me about your early life. So, did you grow up on a farm? I did. Um, mum and Dad were hill farmers, um, both from uh, dairy um, stock, one from Brampton, one from Longtown. And then Mum and Dad managed to get a tenancy in a little village called Lawton, which is beside Cockmouth and Keswick. Um, about 500 acres beef and sheep and we had a great a great childhood very very lucky um, mucking in on the farm uh, had jobs to do when you came home looking at the cattle and the buyers and feeding the calves and lambing times things and that idyllic thing of having your pony and your dogs and things so yeah, yeah no it was it was pretty good so um, a lovely childhood growing up then in the countryside it was, and you just take so much for granted, don't you? The freedom, the uh, the adventures, the 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 um, the, te- um, the uh, camps and things you make in the hay barn and uh, <laughs> yes. in the woods and things. And anything that many parents would frown at now and think, "Oh my God, risk a <laughs> risk assessment, danger, danger." But God, we had so much fun. Yeah, no, I must say, like growing up on the farm, or certainly visiting like my grandparents' farm and what have you, it was just a. It was just that freedom, isn't it, that that sort of growing up gives you, but also that you are getting involved with jobs and, you know, you're part of that team from that early age, I think, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, you, when you think about, you know, driving tractors um, and all these things that, you, you know, you're like, oh, my God, yeah, yeah, I can do it. And then, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> like the steering wheel's as big as you are, isn't it? <laughs> And also, like, I mean, tractors have come on a lot because I just remember, like, the first tractors even I was, like, driving as a teenager, you still had your, like, your dual clutch, didn't you? And if, you know, if you're quite light, you have to you actually stand on it, didn't yeah, you, to sort of break or, like, clutch or something. I was lucky I was never light, so um, <laughs> <laughs> that was never an issue. But, uh, yeah, the Massey 550, that's uh, the one I certainly remember. Hey, Bobbin, and scraping out the, the sheds and things that was yeah yeah but no i would i would be terrified and the thing is now if you um, i remember when we used to go on the farm if you had to go move a tractor you're like oh my god where do you start <laughs> <laughs> i've been doing some sort of spaceship oh i know yeah. I, I think getting yeah into a tractor now i wouldn't actually have a clue the gears are meant to be in the middle yeah I know, no, I, uh, I did, when did I, I can't remember when I actually last sat in a tractor, but I remember just sitting there and just thinking, like, where, I just didn't even, there wasn't even a key, it was one of those sorts yeah. of, and I was just like, and I was like, um, can you help me, because I've got no idea. Um, so from the farm, then what happened, did you go to college or university? Uh, no, I was not academically gifted, um, and I left school at 15, didn't really know what I wanted to do, dad knew the bank manager, um, and then bank managing, uh, or banking was seen as a job for life, so I got a job in the bank, I wasn't even 16, I hadn't got my exam results at the time, so I think technically it was legal, um, <laughs> but the bank manager used to pick me up from the road end and drop me off. And um, I did have to reset, I think, my English or my maths because <laughs> I didn't get them. 
Um, and it wasn't really the job for me, but it was a good start. Um, I think I was there for about two or three years. It was the NatWest Bank in Cockermouth, and then I went to Keswick. Um, but it wasn't really me. Sat behind the glass wall. Um, I'm not a detailed person, so nothing ever balanced. And um, <laughs> I think I was pretty much hated because <laughs> nobody could go home till the office junior had balanced everything. Um, but it, uh, it was a good start. And then um, I was lucky, I got a job with Alpha Laval and um, much to my parents discussed because sales reps really weren't uh, the, the high pecking order of careers at that point, but it was seen something I was natural at and um, I had a, a really exciting, fun time and a lot, a lot of opportunities with Alpha Laval uh, or De Laval as it is now. Um, we're in the new Northern Dairy Centre at Carlisle when it started up, so I, I set up the office in the accounts and and shop and then I did the mobile shop and that was brilliant. Oh, but that was fun. <laughs> going around all the farms and everything and uh, you never knew what reception you were going to get, what you were going to find and uh, at Christmas I got my mum to make mince pies ah. and I took the sherry bottle and because uh, of course when they came at the shop they were normally driving um, so I took them a mince pie and a, a glass of sherry so oh. yeah, I've got a lot of orders around that time. Um, <laughs> Increase in sales. And, yeah. <laughs> That was good. Um, and then I was um, lucky, I worked with Alpha Laval in New Zealand, I took four months off. And then um, I ended up going back to New Zealand and working in uh, Matamata in one of the dealerships out there as well. So no, I had a lot of fun times. And um, and then I was a national sales rep um, with, when the milk mark disbanded as well. Um, so I travelled all over the UK supporting the local dealers and selling every other day tanks. Um, it was 20. 20, 21 was quite um, quite something, being a woman in agriculture selling capital plant, you know, anything 20 to 50,000 pounds. Um, and I know when I was in Northern Ireland, some of the other companies were saying, oh, you don't want that young lass from um, Alpha Laval coming. And that then made them think, oh, why are they mentioning it? So yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was a great time, but quite, quite daunting, but it was a big lesson. Yeah, because like, obviously you, like, you left school at 15 because I was saying 21, you've done a lot already by the age of 21, haven't you, really? But um, um, some great opportunities. But going driving that van up then up to the farms and you just said about the reception, you weren't sure what you were going to get. Like, what skills have you learned from that? Or what, you know, what did you soon learn that you needed to do to get the good reception or just to get the sale? Well, you had to beat the Rickaby's van. That was the key. Um, because... <laughs> There was a couple of bands of different competition. Rickaby's forward head Dunlinson's, and they, oh damn, they got in the week before, so I'm going to change my route. So that was number one, uh, trying to beat the competition. Um, always reverse and have the van packed, ready to leave. Um, oh, <laughs> <laughs> just in case. Um, look out for the collie dogs. But I think it's chat. It's asking how they are. It's been amenable. And it's caring about them and and also really get to know the, the farmer's wife yes. or, the, or the farmer you know because often they are the boss and everything as well um because they are many times the key to the door and and it really is frustrating when you look through because i've seen it from both sides now having been the lady that's at home in the house or you know around the farm i've been looked through and where's the boss where's the you know as well so i think it's been courteous and um, with everyone in the business as well you know the staff yeah um, some of them were quite big farms and some of them were quite small but it was it was funny how it changed as well you've got certain family businesses that they couldn't wait to see you because it was very lonely and isolated and you know you would go in have a cup of tea um, and you know and they wanted to know the chat and everything as well um so it was really varied but you definitely needed to have tough skin and thick skin because it was pretty soul destroying you know and every time you visit, they don't want anything didn't eat anything and you know you've got your targets and stuff to do so you have to be a bit more creative hence the mince pies yeah well yeah <laughs> if there's sort of like a cake involved I'm sure that's the winner but yeah that is true isn't it is um treating everyone with that respect isn't it when you do go on to farm because everyone does have their um uh place don't they on you know they all have a job they all have a role and everyone is as important as the other aren't they you then went you when you came back from New Zealand you went on to the Royal Highland Educational Trust. The Education Trust is, is a fantastic charity um, that is linked to the Royal Highland Society um, and the Lincoln Schools with Countryside, Food and Countryside and Farming and um, it's a brilliant thing. When I first started there there was only two or three initiatives um, but now they cover all of the Scotland and oh. it's kind of like your leaf in, in, um, in England. 
um, but they do a lot of work from uh, nurseries, primary schools, right up into secondary schools. Um, farmers go into schools, um, schools go into farms, and they provide a lot of education resources and materials. Um, and it's been a great thing. And I think in the, in the climate that we've got now, it, it, it really is finding its own and becoming very, very valid. And it's nice now to still be involved um, as a director of the Highland Show to still see how it's flourished and grown. And, the amount of farmers that give up their time and the difference it makes to children to school teachers um, and people as well. Yeah, I think the the education side is so important, isn't there? Like, um, few uh, people that I've spoken to we've sort of been mentioning the disconnect between farmers and non-farmers and um, the importance of getting into schools um, to start that education so children do know the facts because then that does spread down to the parents or spread up to the parents if we're going in height order Um, so they are more aware of the food and farming and where it comes from what did you get out of being in you know that role as in the education trust oh i'm trying to think um network was huge um, and made a lot of friends and things as well. The awareness of the fear, um, because I think there'd have been a few E. coli issues as well, and how some council uh, councils had completely done shut down. There was no way to be any schools to go on farms, and how others were a lot more accommodating. How some authorities, you know, had very little interest in where the food was sourced for the school dinners and things where others really engaged with you and thought right well how do we support the local um, rural economy and and, and and provide healthy nutritious food that's um, reasonably priced for our children and, and communities and hospitals and things so it was it was a real education and seeing you know I think farmers we, we think everyone should know what we're doing and um, depending what sector we're in, whether it be beef, sheep, dairy or whatever, you know, we, we have a font of all knowledge and everyone should support us what we get. But then I've been lucky to go on a number of businesses and I think, well, I didn't realise it took all of that to grow a carrot. You know, we're actually really naive. And, you know, seafood and, you know, and a lot of the, you know, bread, you know, the, the, the niche and specialism that goes into to, to getting bread and the yeast and the, the flour and the, the quality and the consistency and... You know, it, it, it really is an art, and I think, you know, all of us could do with a step back, and I know sometimes when you get into the classroom and children ask you these questions, you're terrified, you think, actually, <laughs> um, so you have to do a bit of blagging, and do it with courage and conviction, and a, and a big smile, and they believe you, or you quickly Google, because I don't know what we've done without Google, <laughs> um, but Fun. yeah, it is, and, and it's just growing that um, disconnect and, and, and naivety um, and yeah so I think it, it's a great opportunity and, and I, I feel I, I definitely should do more I don't do enough mm. um, and sometimes it's easier just to put your hand in the pocket and make a donation and let someone else do the work um, but I think even if we're doing that we're doing something because some people are brilliant at communicating and engaging and some people should be nowhere near um, <laughs> public and consumers they really really shouldn't you know? so for those people please put your hand in the pocket support oh, the good people that are doing it um, and then you know it means you know it's still been done yeah not not everyone is a teacher um it's just a really uh, what you just said about that um you know when you're in the livestock industry you have an understanding of growing livestock producing meat or milk but yet there is that disconnect between farmers themselves so if you are the the livestock farmer living on you know the west of you know the uk you're not going to understand um unless you've been to visit or you have friends in it the work that does go into growing the carrot mm. or the vegetable crops isn't isn't there and um when you mentioned that i i do remember having that conversation with someone years ago and it was they were like i actually have no idea how you know to grow these things you know obviously have and you have an idea but just the, like that work that does go into it so um and as uh, farming has become very much more prescriptive even i'm a livestock farmer i'm an arable farmer i'm a horticultural yeah. you know isn't it um so have do you think that it would be important for farmers to be more aware of how each other works? And Because I think there is still that them and us, isn't there? There's the arable oh, and there is livestock. And it's like... Even, even within, you know, like dairy. Oh, dairy boys and dairy girls. Uh, you know, it's like pedigree people and yeah. people. You know, you know, the dairy sector 
you know, there's, there's house, there's grazing, there's organic, there's free range, there's, you know, so many different systems. And, and for me, personally, there isn't a right or wrong. It's, you know, it's harvesting milk, a beautiful, nutritious, healthy product. How you choose to do it is a very personal thing. Because, you know, it, it's A, what your, your land is put out to be able to, to deliver. It's what your interest, your passion and your style is. Um, and it's, you know, it's your network and everything as well. So it really used to get me so caught on social media. You know, some of the, you know, we go on about the activists, the veganists, the farmers are the worst terrorists out there. That's a strong word, but, you know, the way they call each other and won't support each other and just say, you know, we're greater together. Let's respect, as long as we're doing it as well as we can be, you know, welfare, environmental, all of that. You know let's enhance the difference because that's what makes it so special that we do all do it slightly differently and mm. um, as well so yeah i think some respect some empathy a bit more kindness uh about how everybody does it and, and, and it's okay to be different how they choose to do it let's not call it you know it's right for us because of this but why are you doing it that way all oh, right that's interesting i could maybe learn from that or do you know what yeah i'm still happy doing what i'm mm. doing but good luck in your style and methods. Yeah, no, that's always amazed me is like how um, farmers, you know, farming dairy or beef or sheep all do it differently. No one has the same set mm-hmm. way of doing it. And I know there's a lot of that is reliant on the the ground or the land that you have to the buildings that you have available. And then, yeah, which, which way you decide to go with that, you know, the breed and all sorts, isn't that? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think... Um, we are seeing more of that, aren't we? Um, of that need for kindness and respect, not just within farming, but obviously throughout um, the world of, um, certainly with social media, it's, it's very easy to hide behind um, a screen, isn't it? And make sort of comments. Yeah, the openness and the, you know, and everyone is entitled to an opinion. Um, and yeah, you know, if you can't say something nice, I think more people need to step away and not get involved. Um, for me personally, I've been doing work with um, it's called NLP and it's about using the power of your language. So if you're using positive language, then positive things um, happen or have you and so that's what I, where I'm sort of now I think well I could comment but actually let's either comment with some turn it try and be positive and sort of or it's that thing I think like you know the old saying is like you just said if you haven't got anything nice to say don't say anything nice at all and that's been an old adage you know that would have been passed down from my grandparents and probably before isn't it so um I think maybe we need to take that on board a bit more when we're before we're commenting I, I don't always practice it um, sometimes something comes out of my mouth that I thought was quite funny um, <laughs> yeah. and afterwards you realise oh that was maybe just a little sharp yeah it's <laughs> funny in your head and then when you type it down and how that person then interprets it so yeah do a quick smile soften the should have added the sarcasm in it but yeah no that is the thing isn't it and also how people um so we met when you were with dairy co as an extension officer um whizzing around scotland um and during that time was that when you did your nuffield yeah so i um i think i've been with dairy co a couple of years and it was in 2012 i applied for nuffield and i, I was lucky dairy co and, and to be fair, AHDB are still really, really supportive of investing in their staff and everything as well. Um, so yeah, I did over sort of two years of annual leave and holidays and things as well. Um, so it was a fantastic opportunity. Yeah, it really was. What was your enough field on? So at the time, um, I was doing discussion groups, and I would, you know, we'd have meetings, we'd have speakers. And the guys and girls would be really motivated, think that was the best meeting, going to go and do this, this and this. And then you'd see them two or three months later and you'd say, so what have you done? And more often than not, they're like, oh, actually, we need to get them back because never got round to it or something happened. Um, can we do it again? And I started to get a bit despondent and thinking, well, how do you influence and motivate change? So my topic was communication, how to influence and motivate change and have discussion groups have their day. I was starting to question is there a more effective way of knowledge transfer, a more effective way of 
like I said, um, influencing change. So um, that was my topic, and I went to Chile, Peru, Brazil, Australia, oh. New Zealand, Tasmania, Canada, America, Ireland, and Wales. Woo! Yeah, like Wales. Well. If you're under 45, apply, apply, apply. You get paid to travel the world. You meet amazing people. You make some fantastic friends. It is not a holiday. Um, it is hard work, and it does push you out of your comfort zone. But for me, it was phenomenal. Um, yeah, and really 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 lucky so uh, when you were on your journey then um of the Nuffield, literally the journey of traveling and with these people what what did, did that give you at that time i think um i was starting to feel a little bit had i missed out not going to college and university um i was a bit of a square peg in a round hole um just literally didn't know where i fitted in and and meeting all these different people from different backgrounds um, you realise that you know education isn't everything. Um, a lot of it is drive, personality, the will, um, and you are you, and embrace the you. Don't try to be someone different. That really came across as well. Um, and I, I, I developed myself a confidence and an ability that I never realised I had. Travelling eleven weeks predominantly on my own. Um, South America I did um, with two other friends and colleagues. Uh, Robert and Tim, the, um, the wildman, the Englishman and the man from Worcester. <laughs> uh, um, not the Irishman. I'll say there's a book in there uh, somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And we had, um, but it was, it was incredible. And um, and the other thing with Nuffield is they, they realise that you know people really want to see you succeed and people want to help and people want to tell their stories. And... Um, that blew me away how many people opened the door and having the courage to just knock on someone's door or pick up the phone and say, Look, I'm passing through, would you have time to speak to me? And um, and how helpful people were. So I learned a, a, a huge amount. Um, and yeah, I was lucky, you know, I was I fulfilled so many dreams and fantasies. And like when I was a kid, I used to read these books, McClellan and Mary O'Hara, um, Flicker, Thunderhead and Greengrass of Wyoming. And it was the McClellan family family in Wyoming. And I always wanted to be um, that, and I was cowboy in Montana. Uh-huh. Um, just randomly after speaking to John Cook at the Highland Show, he asked him to speak at a meeting, and yeah, ended up mustering in three and a half thousand head of Aberdeen Angus cattle, you know, cowboys. And, oh, wow, you know, amazing. It was, it was incredible. I went to bed in the, um, it was like a motorhome thing I was in. In the, out, in the big black sky country in Montana in Billings and uh, the biggest smile and you could hear the coyotes and the rattlers and everything it was something else um, and then another time I was uh, locked up in a high intensive prison in Penitentiary in Canada and that again came from a meeting um, with Lallymond and um, well, my friend, my brother-in-law is actually a prison warden and like the ultimate behaviour correctional unit <laughs> Um, and influence and motivate and positive change. So that that was terrifying but brilliant. And yeah, vineyards in uh, Chile. Oh, but you enjoyed those. Oh, <laughs> very special. And the one thing, actually, I was traveling in 2012-13. Most of the countries were in severe drought, incredible drought, dire, dire straits. And I think here in the UK, we really need to embrace the rain. And I know your listeners will be going, what? Floods. <laughs> You know, crops, um, you know, I know I've been over in the east side of the, the country of it quite a bit and the, the land does look sick, it looks tired. Um, but I tell you what, when you haven't had rain for a few years, um, it really toughens and hardens the soul and the will. Um, so I think we do need to find a way of how we embrace and manage um, the rain that we get um, to make it maybe more you know, bearable um, as well. Yeah, I think uh, seeing uh, other countries and um, the things that they're going through, like even just from the basics of farming methods to the conversations, but then when you are witnessing those dire climate climatic changes of drought and being in that for years, I mean, we had it, what, for a six months, eight months the other year, didn't well, we? And we were... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we were sort of, oh, gosh, and oh, we've got no food and anything. Gosh, imagine doing that. For four years, five years, eight, eight years, eight, eight years yeah. was it? You know, and, then, and dust, just dust, and yeah. flies, and barren. You know, it's, and we are so lucky with you know the seasons that we get, um, and everything on the whole. But you know, we, we choose to 
<laughs> yeah, I know. Well, we are British. We have to moan yeah. about the weather. So after your Nuffield, then came your career change. So tell us about that. Yeah, Saviour of Associates, saving asses, kicking asses, soft skills with a sledgehammer. Ah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, didn't see me setting up my own company. Um, a few different circumstances brought it about. And, you know, whenever sort of shit happens, um, and, I, you know, it wasn't where I planned it to be, but, you know, I, I was so lucky. Um, and folk kept saying, you should set up on your own, you should set up your own, you should set up your own business. I thought, what would I do? I, I'm not qualified. I just talk, uh, <laughs> which I do. Um, and a few companies said, well, look, we'll work with you. We want to uh, sort of facilitate some discussion groups. And, um, and then I did a leadership program, which is one of the greatest things. Um, when I came back from the field, you get asked to go and speak to groups and everything. And I was speaking at one group. And I was really taken aback at, um, I'd been in the young farmers with them, I hadn't seen them for about 25 years and I'd been in the bubble of Nuffield positivity and I was speaking to this group and when I went there they were tired, they were depressed, they were broken and some of them, you know, just looked miserable and that was before I'd spoken to them. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh my God, what's happened? And you were telling me their stories, you know, about how some uh, had got into farming because the, the brother or the sister that was going to be the farmer had tragically died in an accident and the parents had said you don't come home we're going to sell the farm um, other ones you know they'd come back all ambitious and they were in the 50s and they were still just the boy um, and broken and tired and not getting on with the families and things and you know the money and I said oh my god this is crazy so I started thinking you know what, what do I wish someone said to 24 year old Heather and there's quite a lot now I wish someone had said to 24 year old Heather um, but what we can put on the podcast might be a bit different and, um, so I, um, I thought right you know what advice would I go back to and it says who are you what are you where do you want to be you know what kind of person are you what really motivates you what drives you what excites you um, and what is it about your personality that's maybe going to hold you back that might be you know not as positive um, and then how are you going to achieve it? Who do you need around you? And what are the skill sets you're going to need? So I wrote a programme for the Scottish Federation of Young Farmers, Cultivating Leaders. And we're in our sixth year now, which oh, is incredible. It's amazing. Um, it's, it's, it's just been lovely seeing these young people come in quite timid and shy, or some of them quite cocky. Um, and then over the sort of six days, over to, um, three different sessions and flourish. So day one is leadership and um, personal vision and goals. Um, two is understanding business and succession then they go away and then uh, they come back a month later and it's understanding financial awareness and your accounts and things because financial literacy isn't great really in agriculture and it is a massive um, a massive area then um, they have a session on business planning banks um, how to communicate what you want out of your vision and goals to professionals um, and then they go away for two months and then come back and go and see some farms and um, some new entrants, some diversification, some real mixture of family businesses and things. And then day six, do a little bit of staff management, how to be an employer of choice. And then they have to do a mini presentation in front of government sponsors, mm. NFU. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a mini rural leadership that I did many years ago in 2010. And it's a mini in the field to try and get young people to take that time, invest in themselves, leave the home, leave the office, um, meet, and that was the other thing, the importance of meeting, the, the programmes delivered by Leading Chambers, Campbell Dallas, Galbraith, and RBS on that west um, now, and, and they're the heads of finance, they're the heads of these companies, they're the top, top individuals. So they're networking, they're engaging, they're realising that these advisors, these bank managers, these land agents, things are real people, mm. and even past young farmers. So, you know, it is okay to speak openly with them. And um, and that, that kind of grew. And um, so then I started staff recruitment as well, staff recruitment, staff development, motivation, and doing appraisals for businesses, which was brilliant. But between the leadership programs and between the family meetings and um, some of the discussion groups I was running, succession was rearing its head up more and more. Um, and I didn't feel really qualified because it's a minefield. Um, and, and I thought, you know, there's enough people out there talking about tax and things. And a lot of farmers, I swear, you know, on their headstone, their ambition is on their grave, you know, I went to the grave and paid no tax, uh, which is, you know, admirable. And, um, you know, you do have to manage your tax. Um, but if you're just farming to avoid tax, you know, and, or your succession, 
is all about paying no tax. I also leave enough money in the pot for the therapy and counselling for the family <laughs> and kids that's left because maybe not always what you know is right for the family. Um, so in 2016, um, I took a month off and went to Australia because uh, it was seen as quite leading in succession. And I went to a whole heap of different businesses, different people, um, because I was more interested about the people, how to get the conversation started, because that's often the biggest hurdle. Um, and I went to a lady, Linda Eldridge, who I'd met on Nuffield. She was in Adelaide, and I loved her style. She didn't talk about um, succession, she talked about governance. And when she went into a new client, first thing she did was look at the debt and the borrowing. And she could generally, because she had really good relationships with the banks, um, reschedule or realign um, the, the, the payment structure and get them a better interest rate. So immediately she'd save them some money and farmers love a good deal. So they would, <laughs> yes. give, her, they would give her a go because um, <laughs> you've got the hearts and minds. And then the next thing she did, she had a fantastic spreadsheet and she broke down her enterprises. Most of her clients tend to be sheep and cereals. So she looked at the breeding flock and then maybe the, the, the store lambs and different things. Um, and then the different crops broke down every single crop and um, what was the income, what was the outgoing and what was the profit and the margin at the end of it and, and then the productivity, how efficient and how good at, were they at farming so she would benchmark them with other industry things and then after that she'd then look at the family and she'd look at everyone in the family uh, whether they were in the business or not and she'd interview them and look at what their interests, their drivers, their hobbies, what their skill set were and look at how can they add value to the business um, because it is amazing how many family farms have um, someone in the family who's a bookkeeper, who's an accountant, who's a consultant, who's you know an agronomist or whatever but god forbid do we bring them into the business uh, you know no no we'll manage that ourselves you just you keep out rather than you know think god we've got all these resources within our business why don't we fully utilize them um, and i really loved her style um rabobank and um, i love their approach and there's a whole heap of different people so i kind of pulled it all together and i have my own pretty unique mishmash way of straight talking um, <laughs> addressing succession and, and it's been I've been really really lucky um, I think people are ready for a fresh approach um, and, and and the timing's right you know with Brexit and things like that as well there is a bit of a, a change of atmosphere change in the wind um, and, and people sort of say no it's not okay to no longer tell people what's happening to keep people in the dark mm. and, and sometimes it does work out fine but other times it's hideous what's the farming is hard now you know it used to be an average farmer could make money but a really really good farmer can struggle to be profitable now and if they've got their hands tied by not knowing what the future is by not knowing you know what they're actually going to be taking on who they've got to pay out it is not fair and, and i really love when i was in um, south america in Chile, the way they have it is you don't inherit the farm till you're about 30, 35, and you have it for 20 years, so you move on at 50, 55. And in that, up to being 30, 35, you've developed your own career, your own um, confidence in yourself, you've hopefully built up some equity, um, and when you come into the business, you take it on and it is yours, so you can flatten it. So whatever you're interested in, oh, wow. for the marketplace is you design it, you get the right vision. So you have your vision, what you want to do for 20 years, what profits you want to make with it. You communicate it to those around you and, and then you build up the best team. You know, you build up the best advisors, the best supporters, the best employees to achieve that in 20 years. And I just think, wow, how would the face of agriculture change if when a young person took on the business at 30 or even 40, and they knew they had that farm for 30 years maybe, whatever it is, 20 years. So they knew this was the business that inherited, this was the starting point, the debt, the borrowing, the value of it. And they could think, well, do you know what? This is what I'm passionate about. This is what the, the consumer's wanting, right? This is what we're gonna do. And I know we've got a lot of planning regulations and you know all these different things. It's not as straightforward, but maybe if we had this view, we wouldn't put the slurry tower beside the, the holiday cottage. And you know, we would maybe have gates that swung we really have cattle handling facilities that were safe and you know that and sheep handling facilities that had sheep flow and cow flow and mm -hmm. so that every day you went out yes you maybe borrowed money to get it feasible but every day you went out to work you had a system that was fit for purpose that was safe and that you enjoyed working in so therefore people would come and enjoy working with you 
because you know there's it, it's really sad a lot of people work 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 break themselves and you know break everyone around them and then invest in a new property or a new infrastructure a new parlor for the next generation and they haven't had any buy-in they haven't had any ownership they haven't had any skin in the game and it doesn't really mean the same whereas i think if you know you've got a 20 30 year invest in it now banks would love it mm. you know people would want to work in that environment and and we'd, we'd maybe start smiling again and farming <laughs> and and having some fun so I, I think there's a lot to be said for that and and i really like it and and i don't know whether it's just the sunny countries or anything but you know we're still young at 50 60 and Definitely. you know many of them are retraining to go on and do something else because you know they can't physically do the the manual side of it but there's so much in their heads um, that they can mentor, they can coach, or they can go on and do another career. Yeah, because um, they because we haven't broken ourselves. Yeah, so they're not broken, but then again, you know, the skills that you've learned either when you're farming are immense, aren't they? So there's so yeah. much um, talent Huge. within that, um, you know, within farming that you could then use to go on. So I think that sounds like a great um, system that they're using to do that. And yes, yeah, so then you can. I think, you know, or you just even mentioned, you know, like having gates that swing. So when you've grown up on or you've worked that farm and you just that gate, you know, doesn't swing, but it's not swung for 20 years. <laughs> so and it may not continue to swing for another 20. It's only it's crazy, and you it? just think, but you just know every time it's going to be an effort. So you've got to get it right, lift it right. You put it off, don't you? You yeah. put it off and it's like foot trimming. You know, if you've got, you know, a nightmare getting the crush and it's always in the wrong place and it's outside and it's lashing down or whatever, you put it off and then, you know, the the sheep or the cattle, you know, the sooner you get it done, you know, it's, it's, it heals quicker. Yeah. Um, it's all, all, all things like dehorning, you know, God forbid we have everything in a box ready to go, <laughs> yeah. you know, generally, you know, oh, where's the gas thing? Oh God, Grandpa's got it in his pickup and he's gone to the market. Yeah. And where's the lighter? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, let's be organized and structured because I think when we're, we're farming, we're so busy that we're zigzagging and, and someone says, oh, what about this? What about that? And, you know, we start to do maybe five jobs and we, we complete none and we end up doing half of 20. Yeah. Because we're all over the place. Whereas um, I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, some structures and taking time, some slowing down and thinking, let's do what we do well. Yeah. Um, and, and do it better rather than being busy and bigger. Um, because I, I do worry about, you know, we, we haven't got a good reputation for safety in agriculture. We're one of the worst. Um, you know, we kill people, and why is that? Because generally we're tired, we're rushing around, and mm. um, we're cutting corners. I think a lot of businesses are working with at least one labour unit less than they should. Um, you know, whereas if we've got a couple of us together, we get the job done smarter, more efficiently. Hopefully, we enjoy it as well, um, and then we can we can move on. So, um, mm. and, and and people who are tired are never at the best. I know I'm evil. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but we're snappy, we're grumpy, and, and we're not thinking. Um, so, yeah, I do worry. Yes, yeah, so if you've got a lot of people within the industry who are tired and, you know, lambing's just started for a lot of farmers, you know, there's going to be a lot of tired people, aren't there? Um, Brings out the best in people. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely need that coffee in a tonnex uh, to keep you going during the day. That was always Dad's lambing biscuit of choice, a tonnex. <laughs> Scotland. Yes, they sell masses of them in daily if you read their marketing. Um, what are your hopes for the agricultural industry? Um, uh, sometimes you want to pick it up and shake it, don't you? Um, we kind of got, I think, a bit stuck in a rut, and um, and I'm so privileged working with a lot of young farmers that are really, really fantastic individuals very smart, very savvy and want to crack on and I'd, I'd like that we can somehow find a way that if people, you know, like we seem to have a lot of stagnation, um, you know, people are stuck at the moment, they're not sure what's going to happen with Brexit, mm. um, we've maybe got some savings in the bank but, you know, we're so proud of being a farmer, what else would we do? Um, and I think if we could find a way of encouraging um, people to be able to retire with dignity with pride and, and purpose and, give, and, and have another role and allow some young people to come forward. Um, I think it's great what a lot of the NFU and the young farmers are doing as in um, 
uh, sort of share farming connections and things like that because often we maybe can't work for our family um, or there maybe isn't the, the role in there at all because mum and dad want to stay, they're not ready to retire, you know, so if we could go and work with another family that maybe their children aren't ready to come home or they don't have children, you know, what a great mentor, great opportunity. Mm -hmm. I think if we can try and get people to be less hefted, you know, a lot of young people want to get into farming, they don't want to work at home or there's not enough, but they're not prepared to move away. So, you know, I think it'd be a great opportunity if, you know, English came to Scotland or Wales, Wales went to Scotland and England, you know, we moved around and we're learning skills, we're learning, we're building equity, we're building confidence and networks and everything as well. And, and that we still come back to the farm mm. eventually, but not to be afraid of traveling. Um, and taking up these opportunities because you know I hear there's a lot of people on the list but maybe just not on the doorstep so it, it's not working yeah um, and I think where else are the opportunities I think you know there is going to be a lot more bigger farms but I think we need to need to be really proud we undersell ourselves as farmers and you know I get really frustrated it's all the price takers um, not price makers and whose choice is that and who's allowed that to happen um, and I know one of the best advices I got um, when I set up on my own, because again, you know, I was thinking, God, you know, who's going to pay me? You know, what have I got? What what value have I got? And you know, you also oh, maybe you know going at this. And it was a guy uh, Heaven, um, and he he said Heather, charge now what you aspire to earn, because you can't put your prices up afterwards. And I think a lot of farmers really undersell themselves. You know their time you know and a lot of them say oh, you know the staff get paid more than me well why is that and you know set with and i did a meeting last night for the prince's resilience program down in exeter and there was a young guy uh, a tenant farmer for national trust and he says I said, what are you going to do in this year and um, before you know first time i'm to see you next year what are you going to do is i'm going to work out what i need to earn rather than what i'm left with yeah. and and then look at why are we doing it and is it giving it us the return on investment we need because you know profitable businesses are a lot more fun to be involved in and just because it's i've been done that way doesn't mean that's the way it has to be done mm. uh, and we are going to have to change our way of thinking so i think being more open to different breeds different varieties and um, diversification and actually you know not been afraid of inviting groups onto your farm and charging them for it yes you know yeah. you know charging them 50 pound for an hour to experience a lambing yeah you know and, and you might give them a cake and a cup of tea but they pay you to come and clean out the water troughs to come and you know bed the sheep and the cattle and uh, to come and feed some calves um, to come and wrap fleeces and um, oh what a fun day been involved in a fun oh i know they would get so much from that and then you're getting yeah. some cash aren't you to, for, yeah, as well work, yeah. Them. yeah you know come along you know fitness camps because people yeah. want experiences it's they sort of moving away from stuff and we are seeing that you know on the high street with you know shops closing but people are wanting to put their money into experiences such as that and i think i read was it last year this um someone was charging £10 an hour to come and do night lambing. She had, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Fantastic. 10 people turn up and mm -hmm. uh, it was, so that was £100 for a night. And you think, gosh, well, you're going to be and in the shed anyway, aren't you? passion about how much they love what they're doing because you know it's like a game with farmers you know, i used to go and look farms and oh miserable weather fed and you know at least i woke up today and oh nothing's died yet you know it's yeah so, what do you do in the morning and you want to and then i said oh, would you do anything else what are you doing it for if you don't enjoy it? oh no i wouldn't i love it i said well, why do i have to go through this bantering game you know and and people with a pride and a purpose and love what they're doing they smile and they're excited about it and can we not get and I know it's hard work with weather and everything but you know what it's not just farming that's hard work you know mm, firemen yeah. nurses um you know everyone is working hard stopping a matter and um, you know you don't have to work 12 14 16 hour days it's actually a choice and yes. are you affected you know and some folk are now switching off work at half past five and the work's still getting done because you know they're getting a good night's sleep they're enjoying their family when they go home you know they're not falling asleep after their supper and um, they're able to go and you know be involved with the children and different things so 
I think we need to change this and stop treating us our, ourselves and our families like slaves. Actually put some value um, on who we are because nobody minds working hard to get through something. But, you know, some of it is slave-like, the way some families treat their staff and their, and, and their family members. Mm. And, and it's not sustainable. It's crazy, busy, hard-working, long, long hours. You know, we're breaking we're tired and that's why we can't cope and that's why I think we're getting stressed and that's why I think there is more accidents and why there's more mental health whereas if we had reasonable hours we could get off we could go to the young farmers we could go swimming we could go cycling we could go to the football we could go to the kids events and, and get more stimulus rather than just being busy and getting pressured and bogged down yeah because when you um you speak to farmers who have either maybe changed a system so say the obvious is sort of going from dairying and maybe into beef or or have you um, even gone from an intensive system to an extensive system and they're like, oh my gosh, why didn't I do this sooner? And, you know, they're like... Yeah, it's very rare, the regret it. Yeah, and then they're just like, oh, what was I doing? Why was I, you know, doing that? Yeah. And what will people think and what will people say and, and being afraid of that change? And when I was in Australia, there was a great saying, change won't happen until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. And it's actually until it's that bad we change and then we realise, oh... Yeah. Because um, we're afraid of what it might be, um, and can we do it? And you know, life's short, and yeah. if, if you don't love what you're doing, why are you doing it? I know. I think that's uh, well. That, I think that's a lesson in all aspects of life, isn't it? And I think that's, um, I think something we are seeing more away from the farm. I think that's where I'd really like, if you do, would like as well as farmers to be embracing that and to be a shouting about what a good job they're doing, but then also to be to be finishing at five you know give themselves some hours and um and pay as well so that they can appreciate um appreciate what they're doing and get back to being enjoying it and yeah and having a good sleep as well and not being tired oh, the key. and holidays you know um oh holiday yeah the farm, you know and it's funny at meetings who's had a holiday and they're embarrassed you know yeah What's next for Saviour Associates then? Is it still talking about the S word, succession? or? Um, well, wing it, Wildman. Um, <laughs> make it till you make it. Um, I, um, succession, I think, is growing. Um, and there's so many businesses out there that, you know, you know, if you can help make a positive difference, you can help give someone the confidence to start the conversation. And there's so much advice out there, but unfortunately, there's a lot of conflicting advice as well, and there's so many people saying it's difficult, it's difficult. And yes, for some businesses it will be, but the sooner you start, the sooner you start making that change. And you know, don't put it off because before you know it, a year's gone, five years gone, and you know, suddenly you're in your sixties and you think, shoot, where is that, and what money have I got put by? Yeah. And um, so, succession definitely really still love my staff management motivation and um, I love working with young people in the leadership programs and um, what I would absolutely aspire and hope for there is so much support for people under 40 and um, there's so many um, institutions training funding all these things but I think what is there for the 40 plus mm. uh, because a lot of people have maybe come home they've had the family um, they've taken over a bit of the work and then they get to 40 to 50 and think what now what, what's it all for where am I going and I think if I'd love to do a cultivating leaders some kind of program like that for 40 plus so if anybody would like to get behind that and have fund it <laughs> oh then I can't fund it I'd like to be on it <laughs> yeah exactly I think I think there's a great opportunity for that um, because it is what's next 
um, after you get to, you know, the, 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 the midlife crisis is just keep on rolling in. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, resilience. Oh, my God, we did an amazing uh, meeting last week in Brig for AHDB Monitor Farm. Um, Colin invited me over and it was the importance of mental wellness and recognising um, where you are and how you're feeling and, and when you just get into the top. Um, and so I think there's a lot of opportunity there as well. Um, so I've always got my eyes open, mm. never say no. And if uh, someone asks me something, I'll say, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And then <laughs> yeah, well, that's how things happen, isn't it? By saying yes. So, yeah, off to New Zealand on Friday. Can't wait. Really oh, excited. Very envious. So uh, a big trip out there. So hopefully a bit networking, learning, studying, meeting a lot of different consultants and advisors, and always just keen to learn yeah. every day. And um, you're like a sponge. Um, there's always something that we can learn and hopefully pass on and help influence a little bit positive change in others. Yeah. You know, starting the conversation is when the magic works, and. I think that is so important. So like the job you're now doing, it's starting that conversation and it may be a hard conversation. It may come easier than you actually think, but actually starting a conversation just opens doors, opens opportunities and then things can start to happen. That's why I'm loving doing these podcasts because I get to have conversations and then I get to do some learning and hear some great thoughts and opinions. Well done, you, Sham. Thank uh, you very much. It, it is. You're networking and opening doors, and, uh, and yeah, you, you put a smile on many people's faces <laughs> as well. Oh, that's nice. Thank you for saying that. Well, I know, Heather, you are a very busy woman. You've got to get back up to Scotland and get packing, haven't you? So, <laughs> so I will uh, say thank you very, very much for. Um, talking with me today it's been a pleasure to see you again um it always is and um have a fantastic time in new zealand yeah i will do my best <laughs> and i will make sure i sample plenty of lovely wine i'm sure you uh, will <laughs> and good luck with everything you're doing Sean, too. Uh, brilliant and i will get you to do some more photography work for us soon too because uh, we're t- t- well overdue and outdated now oh yeah get the girls again get you booked, yeah. yeah so thank you okay thank you take care bye That was fantastic to speak to Heather again and just have a really good insight to the world of succession and her growing up and also how other countries are doing things. If you want to learn more about My Rural Tribe, please go to my website, which is www.myruraltribe.com and I'm on Instagram and uh, at My Rural Tribe and I'm also on Facebook as well, uh, My Rural Tribe or also Sean Mercer. If you enjoyed the podcast, I'd really love it if you would share it with your friends or at least let them know. And um, till the next time, friends, stay safe. And while you're doing that, remember to start the conversation and make the magic happen.